buildings today, which was uh, foiled by the police. But uh, a big meeting takes place tomorrow there. But we're just speaking to one of the students who is at the University of Cape Town to hear of her personal experience. Now, to analyze the situation, not only on the plights of students at uh, institutions of higher learning, but what it means in terms of the income and debt levels of individual households. We're on the line to political economist uh, Lebohang Perko. A very good afternoon to you, Ms. Perko, and thank you very much for speaking to us. Just before we get into the numbers of what's involved and what we can afford or not, I'm just looking at some of the tweets coming through uh, on uh, Mm. my personal Twitter handle. Uh, Others saying that to compare what police did yesterday to students in 1976 uprising, rarely now. Another one saying that um, the hashtag fees must fall campaign has been invaded by or infiltrated by rogue elements. Uh, agent provocateurs, some are saying. What are your thoughts on this? Oh, I don't know that um, these are agent provocateurs. I think, um, Tepiso and the listeners, that this is an issue. The issue of um, free education in this country was one that was tabled in 1994. And in fact, even before the negotiating process began, and um, regrettably, it was—it's been followed up by the, the by the many policy tra- trajectories that this country has taken. So you recall that, you know, under the RDP, which was a slightly more redistributive uh, tone and intent. Um, I wouldn't call it a policy document per se, but you know, a statement of intent redistribute. That was followed up by the certainly more market-led um, gear, uh, and which was, you know quite reviled at the time, if you'll recall. Uh, and one of the, the requirements of the gear was, it was sort of like, our, it was really our own domestic version of structural adjustment to decrease the role of the state, to decrease public and state expenditure, um, to keep uh, the markets as open as possible to international investment. And I think that we are paying the price for this because what has happened is that at a very foundational time in our nation's history and development, we did not... Uh, prioritize free education rigorously. And instead, we pursued other things like the arms deal, which cost the country billions of rands, despite the fact that we, there really is no immediate threat to South Africa. And I think that's kind of just one, one example of the mis-expenditure or alternative expenditure choices which could have been made. Just looking at this demand of not only free education for all, but uh, free higher education. Uh, there have been comparisons mm. with other countries. I look at Germany, yeah. for instance. Uh, some will say, why can't we do that? But there are those who argue that in Germany it's a different kind of system, let alone the fact that it's a federal government largely, but it's a public system which is publicly funded. So is it a fair comparison? Yeah, that's a fair point, um, and I've been looking in the wake of all of this that other countries, um, granted countries such as Norway and Sweden have a, a huge tax base, but by the way, so do we. Well, you know, the middle class in this country are one of the largest tax, that pay some of the highest taxes in the world. Um, but if we compare ourselves to a country such as Brazil, and in terms of our economic structure, there's a better comparison. What Brazil has done is that they have taken it upon themselves to pay um, school fees for countries for, for, for primary school, secondary school, and the first degree as well of, 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 of university. Which we can also look at a country like Cuba, which at the time of the revolution, as it were, 60 years ago, under uh, Fidel Castro, or Castro I, I suppose you 
say. He, he made it a point to make sure that there was free university education, including, which is why to this day we speak about the Cuban doctors. I can also use another example of India, which at the time of their independence in 1947 had a GDP which was roughly half of what South Africa's was at the time uh, in, in 1994. And they decided to invest in two key sectors, among others. The one is in their entertainment sector, Bollywood, and that's you know creating dividends for them over the last uh, you know few decades. But more importantly than that, in this context, that they decided to invest in their education, especially science and technology. They relaxed intellectual property laws that young people could photocopy books. I mean, the cost of books alone is fairly prohibitive in this country, in any country, quite frankly. Um, so they decided to relax copyright laws so that people could photocopy books without being in contravention of the law. So people were able to buy copies of books on street corners, pavements, for a few rupees. And doctors, engineers, IT specialists, um, neurosurgeons, etc., were produced from these books which were, which were photocopied. Mm. And I think that we need to be much more creative about that. And right now, the fact is that you know, the, any country with a higher GDP is it's almost proportional to the number of graduates and PhDs that they are able to produce. We are not producing enough masters and PhD students to create a higher GDP growth. There's Allow a me to interrupt you there. When you're talking about being creative, I mean, we invest quite a lot in terms of social grants. Uh, uh, looking mm. at the number that the fiscus gives to social grants, can some of those grants not be veered towards higher education, even including a, a combination of uh, repayable loans. Mm, I don't think so. I mean, I don't think that we need to pull. We don't. We, I don't think we need to pull from people who don't have, unless we have a different plan for them. My argument, Sabisa, is that we have enough money in the fiscus, but we need to redirect it. Um, there's also a huge amount of waste in our state fiscus. Monies which are billions of rands which are yet to be accounted for, either because they are mismanaged, they go missing in inverted commas, or they are fraudulently, you know, fraudulently expended by public servants, and that's really the truth of the matter. The other thing is that, you know, we we have had misprioritization of what we want to spend our money on. So in an environment where we are coming from a historical deficit of power relations and education, which, which manifests in poor education for African people, poor housing, poor life outcomes, rather than trying to deliberately re-engineer a situation where African people would be able to access more of those opportunities. Um, since 1994, we've actually had a we regrettably, followed a, a policy path which continues to reproduce the same inequalities, which continues to reproduce the same kind of outcomes, and which is, it's almost an inevitability that this day would come where young people would say that they were no longer able to continue self-subsidizing an education system and a social system which inherently excludes them even before they have begun. Thank you so much for your time and insights. Uh, Ms. Lebohang Peko is a political economist, brings the time to just a little bit after five o'clock.